Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our guest, uh, Congressman David Price, who's, I don't know how many times, uh, Congressman, you've been on this program, but we always enjoy our visits because uh, uh, you always bring a great insight on what's happening on Capitol Hill. And uh, the next uh, several months are going to be very interesting because uh, we're going to have a change in administration. And uh, that creates a lot of interesting things. One of the things that uh, did not change or apparently has not changed subject to a runoff election in Georgia is the control of the United States Senate appears to still be in the hands of the Republicans. Uh, That's, uh, you know, that could, if both of those seats in uh, Georgia turn Democratic, it will be a a, uh, tie. But uh, I think most folks uh, might uh, think that's a long shot right now. So let's talk a little bit about partisanship and how do we create a better situation of dialogue between the two parties than existed under President Trump? That's a really important question. And I uh, I think we need to make a, a good, honest effort to, um, to to reach out on both sides and, and to achieve uh, a, a better cooperative uh, relationship. And, and uh, the things we've been talking about earlier in the program just underscore the need for that. We, we still have a we still have a pandemic to bring under control. We still have and uh, we have an enormous uh, job of economic recovery. I don't want to go down the path of 2009 again, where the Republicans just dig in and oppose everything Obama did. I that that uh, that that hobbled the recovery back then, and it'd be absolutely disastrous now. So so we have to find a way. There are some there are some promising signs. I think. Uh, Joe Biden, first of all, if there's anybody who should be able to do this on the Democratic side, it is Joe Biden with his history of, uh, of, of cooperative relations. He and uh, McConnell, I think, personally have a good relationship. I think both parties with regard to the Senate races have a lot to be uh, modest about. You know, there were some disappointing uh, losses on both sides, uh, a 50-50 split or a 51-49 split is, uh, is, is really very, very close, very close. And, and it ought to tell leaders all around that uh, the country is not all of one mind. The Senate is not all of one mind. And, and there needs to be some coming together, especially with respect to what it's fair to call emergency needs for the country. So I'll tell you where I'm gonna start and where I think maybe this whole thing starts is with, uh, is with appropriations. I might say that because it's my committee but I think I'm warranted in saying it because uh, appropriations does have a history as one of the more cooperative areas, <coughs> even, even under the polarization of recent years. We've managed to come together on appropriations bills uh, quite often. The, the committee I chair, Transportation and Housing, is one where, um, where we have, have come together uh, quite nicely, has Senate and House, Democrats and Republicans. You know, so the first test is gonna be, first of all, another relief bill and then secondly, the regular appropriations bills for 2021, which, uh, you know, the continuing resolution expires in the middle of December. So we got to do something about that. And then thirdly, a serious recovery package. And in all of these areas, I would, I would hope that the traditional bipartisan cooperation that we've had on appropriations, first of all, it could work for us in those instances, but also it might be an example for the way the rest of the Congress might operate. Uh 
I'm going to make a statement because we alluded earlier in the program to the fact that there's a growing number of people, especially in North Carolina, who are registering as unaffiliated. And uh, the statement I'm going to make, and I'd just like to hear your comment on it, is when are both parties going to recognize, both parties, that this increase in uh, registration as unaffiliated is a sign that, uh, that there's a growing discontent with both parties? that uh, people are not satisfied with the Democrats or the Republicans in large numbers? Well, that's a fair question. And uh, the, the, way, uh, the way the Republicans have reacted and the way some in our party want to react is by uh, doubling down, doubling down on our, uh, our uh, ideology and our uh, political beliefs and uh, shoring up our base. Uh, instead of going after those uh, voters who, as you say, for whatever reason, they may be disillusioned, they may be genuinely uh, neutral, whatever, um, they aren't affiliated with either either party. So uh, I, uh, I want to see my party uh, maintain a big tent. And I think we did in the 2018 elections. I think we did that in the way we campaigned for Joe Biden. Uh, there's some infighting in the party right now, I think, that needs to be resolved in favor of a... Uh, a broad-based approach. Republicans long ago have given far too much to their um, extreme right wing. And now the Trumpian um, wing of the party seems dominant. That's, that's a very dangerous um, development. And it um, Republicans should see that as, uh, yeah, it may be promising in the near term, but it also is going to limit their appeal to that middle of the electorate that you're talking about. Now, I would, I would let me just add one thing, Don. I think to those voters who are signing up as independents, I'd say this to them though. You know, that's, um, that's, that's uh, in itself a significant act. And, and I would hope a certain number of people, young people especially as they come into the electorate, would, uh, would kind of get past just total cynicism and would really ask themselves, well, nothing's perfect, nothing's quite in line with exactly what I believe, but on the whole, wouldn't I be better off signing up with a political party and trying to influence that party? That that would help us out. That would help well, us with the program I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, what happens is uh, the, the middle of both parties are the most likely to leave the parties because uh, exactly what you're talking about, about uh, the theory that's, that some in both parties believe of polarization or increasing their base. Let me ask you another question. I'll sort of change the subject. Uh, who are some of the up-and-comers in the Democratic Party that we should be keeping our eyes on as far as those who might be leading our country in the next uh, 10 or 12 years? Who are some that you're impressed with right now from across the, uh, across the nation? Well, you know, I think the, the Democrats uh, lined up on the debate stage for the presidential contest were, um, were, were a pretty impressive uh, group. Um, and within the Congress, there are there are, are many good leaders. We, uh, it's uh, you know not a secret that we have uh, a uh, a group of uh, very senior leaders in the in the Democratic Party with Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and Jim Clavert. But I would say right beneath that, and without any clear favorites emerging right now, you know there are people like uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, people like uh, Catherine Clark, people like Pete Aguilar. People um, in our committee leadership positions that um, 
are um, are very very promising. And uh, you know, there were three there were three members of the House who I thought were candidates to succeed Nancy Pelosi. One's Chris Van Hollen, who's now in the Senate. One's Javier Becerra, Attorney General of California. One is Joe Crowley, who lost his the primary. And but but you, you know that next generation of leaders, it's not so clear right now who's going to emerge. But I think it's fair to say these next two years are going to be a period of testing and jockeying and, and you know, assessment for uh, for what that next generation looks like, because the changing of the guard on the Democratic side surely is coming. Well, you mentioned James Clyburn. I mean, it's interesting how much uh, his one decision made in this final election, because I think almost everybody agrees without him, Joe Biden would probably not be the president elect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll, uh, I, I tell you, I had a, I had an assignment uh, 15 years ago with a, along with Alexis Herman, the former Secretary of Labor, and she and I were asked to uh, chair a commission to figure out what to do about the nomination process. And you, you may remember, we, uh, New Hampshire and Iowa were just uh, dead set on remaining their first in the nation status and not giving in on that period, that, that kind of influence they had. And we, uh, we in the end struck a compromise. We said, all right, we're going to leave Iowa and New Hampshire where they are, but we're going to insist on two new states, two new states. And what were they? One was South Carolina and one was Nevada. And it was said of us back then, what a cop out. You know, it's too bad you couldn't have done something more uh, significant in terms of that primary calendar. Well, I... Uh, I just rest my case looking at South Carolina this year and the difference it made. Sometimes, uh, even when you don't get everything you want, the changes that you make do uh, bear fruit. Well, one of the interesting things about this election was <laughs> how many people voted. And that's a good sign because uh, not only did more Democrats vote than ever before, but also more Republican votes were accounted. And so uh, in many respects, we can say the, uh, the uh, system is working in the sense that people were more active, were more involved. That's right. I think uh, that will be the conclusion as we look at this. The uh, the turnout on the Democratic side was uh, something we, uh, I think, are going to be proud of, about, about what was achieved, even under pandemic conditions, where we were observing certain public health constraints that the other side was not. Um, but, you know, there was a surge on the Republican side as well. And... Um, and it was Trump related. It was, I think it's, I think we're going to find out that though Trump didn't win the election, a lot of the, um, a lot of the new voters were, were Trump oriented and that um, made it very close in a lot of states. And it, um, and it pulled down some of our other Republican candidates. All of these things are just so close that uh, the, the differences uh, can be pretty small and still significant. And, and, but, but I think, um, I think this is going to be an election where we find that, um, an increased turnout was enjoyed on both sides. I guess is uh, Congressman David Price. We have one final segment on Carolina newsmakers, and we'll sort of wrap up and review what he is looking for during the next uh, uh, this next couple of weeks, uh, which is sort of a lame duck session and a reorganization period. And we'll do that when we return with more here on Carolina newsmakers. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No. I'm asking it questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. 
Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Another reminder that this program is heard in two different forms. Many of the stations hear a half-hour version, and uh, thus you miss two segments. They are available on carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can go back and hear those. And we've had uh, some very interesting comments from our guest, Congressman David Price, recently elected to his 17th term, representing North Carolina's 4th District. Well, uh, you know, the late duck sessions are always interesting. And uh, we are getting ready to, to uh, get back into session. And uh, uh, there are a lot of concerns, a lot of interest, and there will be a lot of uh, names being tossed about and so forth. Any prominent North Carolinians that you think will be uh, uh, in line for positions in the new Biden administration? Yes. I, I, I don't want to speculate publicly particularly about, about that, but uh, we have a lot of talent in this state. And... Uh, I'm in a position to know who some of the folks are who uh, will be th thought about and, and who are putting themselves forward. So I, I do uh, I do expect to uh, to see some of our uh, uh, fellow North Carolinians uh, take on responsibilities. Uh, and we're going to have some uh, reinforcements in the Congress as well with two fine new members, uh, Deborah Ross from uh, Raleigh and uh, Kathy Manning from Greensboro. Uh, joining us to uh, bring our Democratic delegation up to up to five members. The uh, uh, issues that will come up during this lame duck session are likely to focus, uh, first of all, on COVID-19 and the economic relief. Anything else that might happen during this period of time of significance? Yes. What we absolutely have to do is do the budget for next year. We uh, are... Uh, into the fiscal year already, which started on October 1. We passed, uh, I, I'm the chairman of the Transportation and Housing Subcommittee. I and my 11 uh, co-chairs, uh, fellow chairs, uh, convened in July in masked and distance form in D.C. and marked up our bills, passed our bills. So these bills have passed this, the House, most of them have. And uh, the Senate has done nothing on uh, appropriations. And here we now are now over a month into the new fiscal year. So it's absolutely essential. We're operating on what we call a continuing resolution. That is, uh, that just kind of keeps things chugging along at last year's level. But that expires on uh, December 11th. And at that point, the government shuts down if we've not done something. So that's the absolutely must-do item in the lame duck session, hopefully to get the bills in place for the full fiscal year, but at a bare minimum to pass another continuing resolution that gets us over into the new Congress. 
So far, President Biden has indicated uh, certainly holding out the olive branch and trying to uh, end the divisiveness that we've had for the last uh, eight years and, and, and uh, end some of the partisanship that is uh, partisan rhetoric that's been going on. What are some of the pieces of advice that you might give to Congressman, uh, uh, to uh, President Biden, as far as continuing and enforcing this, this uh, line of fault? Well, I... Uh... I very much hope that uh, President Biden can um, can do a couple of things. One is uh, to, uh, to to show that America is back, as we said earlier in the program. And, and there are some areas of, of restoration and repair that are absolutely essential, uh, I guess, starting with America's role in the world and our alliances and our leadership worldwide, also the uh, the uh, serious matter of, of climate change and the need to get back in the in the business of controlling um, greenhouse gas emissions and and so much more um, so so there needs to be a show of reassurance that America is back and that uh, we are determined to crush this virus and to bring the economy back secondly uh, Biden needs to figure out how to unify the country if that's at all possible and it's looking now like he's not going to have much help in that regard from President Trump. I think every day that Trump doesn't uh, cooperate in the transition and that he indicates this kind of bitter end attitude, uh, it makes it harder. But hopefully uh, not every Republican uh, thinks that way or acts that way. And uh, how Mitch McConnell thinks and acts is going to be critically important, but also others in the Senate, uh, including our North Carolina senators. So um, that unifying the country is, uh, it is a country that's uh, in need of, um, of healing. And, and of reassurance. And um, Joe Biden personally is the man for the moment, I think, to do that, given his own personal history of loss and how he's dealt with it, his, his faith, his, uh, you know, he is, he, this is, this can be his moment, or I hope it can be, because the country desperately needs what he has to offer. Well, he certainly has made, uh, all the statements he's made so far are, indicate that, uh, uh, this is the course that he would like to charge forward right. with and, and uh, make happen. And, and I think the uh, many, many, many people in the country are, uh, will welcome this and be excited about this and uh, hope that it happens and happens uh, not only on local level, but also in the international level, because uh, we've sort of turned our back on some of our close allies for many, many years in the last uh, four years. Yes, we have, you know, in a way that uh, has puzzled them and distressed them. I'm the chairman, uh, once again, of the House Democracy Partnership, which is a bipartisan group of members that reach out parliament to parliament and help build capacity in developing democracies around the world. And, uh, you know, we've never, uh, we've never pretended that we have it right, always. Uh, and in fact, we've had some pretty hard questions to answer about, uh, about our president and the direction of our country these last four years. Um, I look forward to being able to be reassured once again that America is on the side of human rights. America is on the side of aspiring democracies. America is a challenge to autocrats. And, and um, I look forward to working on that in um, my own uh, focused way with this uh, parliamentary outreach. Duke, uh, Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill's uh, health services both are playing key roles in the development of new uh, uh, therapeutics for the COVID-19 situation. 
Uh, do you anticipate the uh, Congress providing more funds for those two institutions? Yes. Yes, the, the funds will go to uh, whoever's at the forefront of vaccine and, uh, and treatment uh, development and those two institutions, every indication there, they have been and will be at the forefront of that development. So uh, yes, there'll be, there'll be funding available. We should make it uh, generously available to whoever has the answers here. And I, I plan to push for that very strongly. I suspect no congressman in the country has two better medical centers in their district than you do with, with That's right. UNC. They, they I'm are, playing, I'm playing a strong hand. <laughs> they're playing a strong hand and they, they are, have an international uh, reference uh, along with the School of Public Health at Chapel Hill. Uh, those uh, are playing a key role in health and uh, the uh, safety of the citizens of this country. Well, we've got about uh, uh, 30 seconds for you to sort of wrap up and say uh, what's top of your agenda for next week. Well, we're going back and we're going to elect our leadership for the next Congress. So I'm uh, trying to figure that out, figure out uh, what the what the uh, leadership should look like. But I'm, I'm eager to get going. Uh, you know, we've uh, we're in a tough time as a country. And, and so uh, there is a there is a responsibility on us to, to, to put the pandemic down, to get the economy back and to break some new ground in areas that I and very uh, concerned about and that my district is very concerned about, namely our transportation infrastructure and affordable housing for all of our people. So uh, uh, many challenges ahead, but thank you for the uh, chance to discuss these things and uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch as, uh, as the whole story unfolds. Well, thank you for taking time to share your thoughts with us. Uh, Congressman David Price, uh, recently reelected for his 17th term as the representative for the fourth district of uh, state of North Carolina. Program has been produced by Jason Kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group or station all across North Carolina. And uh, again, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear just that and, uh, and enjoy any of the past programs that have been on the, the uh, network before. So the next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.